This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest, the legend Rob Orman. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get to Rob. Hello, emdocs.net. How you doing? This is Rob Orman, and if this is the first time we're meeting, as a bit of background, who am I? I am a physician coach working with emergency docs on burnout, overwhelm, feeling stuck, and elevating their careers. I host the Stimulus Podcast, and before all of this, I spent 20 years as a community emergency physician. And this EM Docs podcast episode and accompanying article were born out of a coaching session I had with Britt Long. Yes, the very same Britt Long whose name you see on the articles on this site. Now, you might think of Britt like a machine who is just putting out a shocking amount of content and publishing articles and all that stuff. But as it turns out, Britt also sees patients, a lot of them, in both an academic and community setting. And one challenge that has been particularly vexing for Brit has been mid-shift overwhelm. And in many ways for Brit, this was contributing to some work dissatisfaction and even feelings of burnout. I mean, right, how could it not? Where there's this repeated getting behind and then getting home later than he wanted with really no end in sight. I mean, this event just keeps happening again and again. If you want to hear the actual coaching session where we deconstructed Britt's workday, his mindset, and ultimately built the strategy you're about to hear, there is a link in the accompanying article to this podcast. So let's get to it. A strategy to conquer mid-shift overwhelm. What is going on here? Mid-shift in an emergency department. It's a special beast. It's this point of maximum to-dos, and probably the highest likelihood in your workday of task saturation. And this is also where keeping up with documentation starts to slip. And let's just get this out there right now. Falling behind is not a character flaw. It's just a perfect combination of too much to do meeting depletion of energy. And what is the usual answer to this mid-shift overwhelm moment? What's our answer to most things where we meet difficulty? We put our heads down and we muscle through. We're so good at that. But forward momentum by brute force of will, while it can get you there in the short term, might not be a long-term strategy for thriving in a career. Because eventually, that brute force tank is going to empty. And it's not like it's a mystery that mid-shift inundation is coming. More often than not, you're going to have a lot on your plate in the middle innings of a workday. If we take a 35,000-foot view of what an average day in the ED looks like, at the beginning of your shift, you are fresh as a daisy, and your only job is patient intake, managing all that stuff, just let me see them, just bring me the world. You are feeling amazing. Middle of the shift, energy is starting to wane just a hair, and you have this 
perfect combination of patient intake, results interpretation, consultant calls, procedures, discharges, admissions, transfers, interruptions, and a fleeting dream that it would be so nice to just complete one chart. Oh, if only. And then the end of the shift, you know, you're tired, but your only job now is cleanup and dispo. One of the reasons mid-shift is so fraught is that there's too much to do and it's easy to feel like you're not making any progress. Hashtag spin in your wheels. And having a workable, consistent strategy for the repeatable reality of mid-shift will pay dividends for your entire career. And there's two keys to thriving during this period of a shift. And it is possible to thrive and not feel like you're drowning, but it's going to take some effort. And those two keys are identifying when it happens and then breaking it down into small, actionable steps that flow in a logical sequence. What often happens is you get to this point, there's a whole bunch of stuff to do. You make this checklist of all the to-dos. Well, that's great because you're seeing your work laid out graphically in front of you, but even better is having a logical hierarchy for triaging and then re-triaging all of those to-dos. Step one, notice the change. Just like you've got to enter the right patient into a decision rule, you've got to identify when you've reached the point of mid-shift overwhelm. I can't tell you what it feels like to you. Only you know it, but you do know it. So try this exercise to get familiar with that feeling. Recall a shift where you experienced overwhelm. Maybe it was your last shift. Maybe you've had a string of shifts and the midpoint. I'm just really trying to keep my head above water. Well, at that moment, what were your thoughts, emotions, physical sensations? This usually begins with just a subtle deviation from your usual state. And by the time you notice it, you're overloaded and you're spinning your wheels. Can you pick out the first moments when this begins to happen? And once you do that, once you can identify that subtle shift of, ooh, overwhelm is a coming, give it a name. Give the moment a name, give the feeling a name. Britt Long, our intrepid hero, calls it the Kraken. And what comes next is releasing the Kraken. Building your mid-shift action plan. This is step two. And the time to get organized isn't when the Kraken is a raging beast. It's when you first sense it start to stir. And when that happens, it's time to organize and prioritize. And the details of what this looks like can be different for everyone. But there's common elements regardless of who you are or where you work. And here's some of the things to consider when you're making your, you know, we call it your rank order list. There's a, <laughs> there's a term we all know and love, your rank order list. So here's the things to consider. New patient evals dispositions, managing critically ill or potentially critical patients, results review, team huddle, running the board, calling consults, doing procedures, and documentation. Oh yeah, documentation. Did you think that documentation was going to get swept under the rug when the Kraken was released? No way. No way are we going to let that happen. It's so easy to keep up on charts in the beginning of your shift. That fresh is a daisy feeling, but it's hard when you're busy. So a key point here, 
Documentation is a procedure that you do for you. All of these other procedures, all these other things you're doing for patients. Keeping up on your charts will help you get out on time and also avoid the pit of despair at looking at that stack or that virtual stack of 20 charts at the end of your shift. So here is an example. Here is Britt Long's example of his order of operations for mid-shift overwhelm. When he starts to feel that crack and that tension, that a bit of anxiety, that, oh, I've got too much going on, here's his list. And this is all written out in the article for this. So don't feel like you need to memorize this. And it's actually, don't even memorize this. This is just Brits. This is an example. So priority one, when he feels this, reset and identify critical patients. Stabilize and manage critical or potentially ill patients. This must always be the first priority. This is the first thing on everybody's list. This is written in stone. The sequence of the rest is where you get to experiment. For Brit, priority two is assessing new patients, getting their workup going, putting in the orders. If there's no new patients to see, he moves on to the next priority. Now, the number of new patients that he's going to assess will be impacted by the patient complexity and then how much time it takes. Britt now sets a limit on how many patients or how much time he's going to allot to this. And it's somewhere around three patients for him. And when you assess a patient, critical action, complete an H&P on each patient after the initial encounter. So you've got stabilization, assessing new patients. Next priority, results review, batch this. Don't keep scrolling the board to see if that one thing is popped up. If there is a critical thing, hopefully your ED has a system where you will be alerted. So batch this, schedule this. Don't have this be something that you're just seeing by chance. Schedule results review, see what's back, and identify actionable items and who can be dispoed. At this time, Britt is placing consultant calls, but not so many that he's going to be overwhelmed, maybe three calls at a time. Critical action with priority three. For Britt, he's going to run the board and huddle with his team. And if his team's not available with his charge nurse to delegate tasks. And then next priority is disposition of patients. And that's going to include admissions, discharges, starting transfers. They say dispo is king, but Britt is putting this as his fourth because this workflow is how he sees it fitting best into how he wants to approach his ED shift. One thing to consider is how many dispos you have at this time. You, sometimes you've got five or six people dispo. Are you going to do them all? Or maybe two or three before you go on to the next step. Critical action here. Finish your chart upon dispositioning the patient. Ooh, that sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? During a period of overwhelm because there's so much to do. But this is going to free up mental space. It's going to allow you to double check that you haven't forgotten something. Did you really do that neuro exam? Was that patient really perk negative? And then close the loop on that encounter. The red alert beacon of pressure to do other things besides completing the chart is going to be so bright, so loud. Be aware of that. And Britt's final priority, rate limiting steps, such as completing procedures. So in order. Stabilization and management of critical patients, assessing new patients. With that, completing an H&P on H1. Then he's going to go back to his computer, batch his results review, run the board, huddle with his team or his charge nurse. Then dispose. Put out consultant calls. At time of disposition for each patient, finish the chart. Now, some docs will 
set a limit on how many charts they'll do at this time, say two or three, and let some of them sit until they can come back to this. Because say, you know what? I just am not comfortable doing all of these charts at once and sitting here for 20 minutes doing all my MDMs. Okay. That's just something that you're going to have to figure out for yourself. But the more of these charts that you can complete in real time, the less time it's going to take you because backloading charts usually takes more time than front-loading charts, which is what you're doing right now, doing them in real time. And then what happens is you repeatedly retriage the tasks until the Kraken has quieted, until the mid-shift overwhelm has lessened. Now, this might not happen until the end of the shift. There might be several Kraken moments in one day. Let's talk about some variations and caveats on this. Disposition of patients before seeing new patients. The adage of dispo is king may hold sway on your list. Brit's protocol prioritizes patient intake before disposition, but many docs are going to do just the opposite. After managing the critical patients, they will review results, so batch those results review, run the board, and identify dispos. Another is where you put procedures. Brit has his rate-limiting steps, such as procedures, as the last priority. But if dispo is truly king, then procedures might go somewhere near dispositions because when you finish sewing that lack or reducing that fracture, that patient is now a discharge candidate. And another variation on this is thin slicing newly ruined patients. You're at your computer, you're doing your dispos, you're doing whatever, and you see someone come in. Some docs will order from the computer to get things rolling while attending to other tasks or see someone come in, let me do a quick hello, get a one minute history, and I'll be back soon. The thin slice. Some are thin slicers, some are thick slicers, and some, a little bit of both. What about the number of consultant calls you put out at once? If you can call your consultants directly, that is such a win, but oftentimes it's a page out, you're going through the transfer center, and you put all these things in the air, and then they all come back at the same time. So how many are you comfortable putting into orbit at one time? And when this often comes into play is about two to three hours into your shift, when you've had that first big bolus of assessments, and then all the results are coming back at the same time, and the consultant calls need to go out, and the admission calls need to go out. So how many of those do you want to put into play? That may change depending on whether you carry your phone with you, or you have to go back to your workstation to answer the phone. And you may actually want to change how you communicate, such as having a phone with you or not, depending on how many consultant calls you want to put out at once. What about resetting this? How often do you reset the list and start back at the beginning? And what is the trigger for that? And something that is going to throw this into disarray, just be prepared for this, is a critical patient. What do you do when a critical patient arrives by EMS? You may be in that room for half an hour or more. You get out and you've got even more tasks than you had before going in there. How do you re-enter your sequence? Some will restart at the top. I'm just going to restart and look at my critical patients and then go back through the list. Some will go back into the sequence where they left off. Maybe it's going to be the intake step. Maybe it's going to be the dispo step. And a really subtle caveat to this, but something to consider is what to do when you are not in patient intake mode, maybe you're in dispo mode or results review mode, 
and EMS arrives with a new non-critical patient. We know that getting EMS report in real time is really important and just it makes things so much easier, so much more efficient, but it also might take you out of your mid-shift protocol flow. Do you prioritize this or do you let it slide mid-shift? Do you listen in on the report to get a snapshot and then come back to the patient for a full eval later? Maybe getting EMS report is a top priority for you and you get up and you stop what you're doing, get every EMS report, complete your new patient eval on every EMS arrival. It's going to be up to you and it's something to experiment with. Let's loop back to documentation as we close this up. Documenting in real time when the ED is busy is hard to do. It's hard. For many, I would say most, the comfort zone is to defer charting till you're not busy or no one is waiting. We don't want people to wait. We say, oh, if we make them wait, there's the opportunity cost. I might miss that. Am I all the... There's always later, right? Always later to do this chart. For one chart, okay, that's all right. But they add up quickly. Something to pay attention to is your inner dialogue when it's time to close the loop on each patient's EMR. What are you doing instead of charting? What is the pull away from completing that chart? What are you telling yourself is more important? There may very well be a critical task that needs your attention, but many things we think of as critical can wait a moment or two, while you complete your note. Documentation in real time is the procedure that you do for you. But even with that mindset, you're probably going to get interrupted whenever you pick up your microphone. And becoming a master of interruption management, that is a topic for another day. And one proviso I will put here is that documenting an H&P, and especially an MDM, now with the new documentation guidelines, documenting the stuff in real time requires you to have a robust template library. If you're reliant on free texting everything, this is probably not going to work or it's going to be exponentially harder. And it may very well be painful to complete those charts. The comfort zone is not to do it and put the burden on your future self. Man, you, what <laughs> future self is going to have some words with you. The discomfort of doing it right now, however, will set you free. And that's it. Or that's a start. And what you've just heard is an approach, not the approach. But the key is to have your approach. Build a framework that makes sense for you, but have a framework. Then try it out. See what works. Identify the stress points where it just doesn't hold up. It just doesn't work. It needs to change. And then experiment and iterate. Become a scientist collecting data on your own practice. And when you first do this, it's probably going to feel really awkward because it's a change in your flow. It's a change in what you attend to and where you put your attention. That's expected. Any change in habit is going to be a bit disorienting. But keep at it and keep on rocking.